Okay, so uh, debt. Talk about debt for a minute. Oh, I know. See, that, what a, I knew that. That's great. I love that. That's a perfect response. Because debt is, whether you talk about, you know, you talk about the national debt, and there's a trillion dollars or some trillions of dollars or personal debt, whatever. Everybody just kind of cringes. You go, oh, debt. You know, it's bad, 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 bad. And, and, it, and it's like that, isn't it? When you have a debt, it doesn't matter if it's big or small. It sort of, it is like a cloud. It sort of hangs over you and kind of just presses down. And it's this weight and this, this sort of burden, you know. So my title tonight is Debt Free. There's a person who's debt-free, and she's jumping for joy. She's so happy she has no debt. So we're talking about debt, being debt-free tonight. But what I want to talk about doesn't have anything to do with money, really, or finances, or loans, or anything at all like that. You may have uh, concluded by now. It actually has to do with Jesus and with the kingdom of God. And I, and I want to ask sort of the, I guess, theological question, the spiritual question maybe. Do we really believe, do we really believe that Jesus is as wonderful, as beautiful, as amazing, as awesome as we say and, and very often hear sing that he is? You know, we sing these songs about how wonderful, how beautiful we say that. Do we really believe that? Do we believe that Jesus is as beautiful as he says he is? Do, do, do we live in the freedom that Scripture indicates that we can? And then I guess the follow-up would be, that: do we then replicate that in the lives of, of those around us? So uh, I typically pray at the beginning of the message. I actually I want to read the text right now, our text tonight, and I want to comment on it a little bit, and then we'll we'll uh, before we kind of really get into it, we'll we'll pray in a minute. But but I want to read to you from uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter twenty-three, beginning at verse twenty-six, very end of the uh, or or near the end of the Gospel of Luke, and it's a passage that I'm sure you'll be familiar with. You can read with me. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and they put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. They, uh, the soldiers, the, the, uh, the guards there, were...
casting lots for the clothes of Jesus. They're, it's a, they're, they're gambling, basically. They're, they're playing a game. Just a little, a little side entertainment um, for his clothing. And the reason they were doing that is that uh, when a person was crucified, they were crucified naked. Uh, they were, a person would be stripped before being crucified. Uh, the intention being that crucifixion would not only be uh, horrific and barbaric and, and, and unbelievably painful, but it would also be as humiliating and degrading as it could possibly be. The intention being that it was, it was a deterrent from crime. Now, you know, in our country today, and it's not like this everywhere in the world, but in our country at least, uh, if someone is sentenced to death and given the death penalty, that happens in private. It's in a room somewhere, and uh, there, you know, there might be some attorneys and some official people there, possibly maybe uh, family members uh, would, would get, be, have access to that room. But generally speaking, that's something that no one sees. We might read about it in the newspaper, but we're not going to see that. The intent here was they wanted everybody to see it. It was done as publicly as possible, again, so that if people saw what happened in crucifixion, they would think, I don't ever want that to happen to me. Because not only, again, was it horribly painful and barbaric, but it was also as degrading and humiliating as it could possibly be. When a person is crucified, they, uh, they, they most often uh, die from suffocation. Your, your body actually collapses in on itself to the point where you can't breathe anymore, and the person being crucified will actually have to push off against their weight, against the nails that are in their hands and feet, to be able to rise up to take a breath, and then they take a breath and then collapse down again, and they repeat that over and over until they're just too weak to continue, and, and they suffocate, and that's, that's how they die. And so if you can imagine that, and on one of those final breaths, as the last bit of physical strength is being sapped out of Jesus' body, he prays and says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. I think, I think we're all aware that when Jesus prayed that prayer, he wasn't praying just for the soldiers, the guards that were there. He wasn't praying just for uh, Pilate and Herod. He wasn't praying for those that were directly involved, uh, not just for those directly involved with this crucifixion. He wasn't praying just for the crowds that had gathered to see his crucifixion. He was really praying for everyone. And he was praying for not only everyone uh, alive at the time, but he was praying for everyone who would ever live. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they were doing. He was praying in that moment for you and I. We said last week that God knows all about us. He knows our, us at our best and at our worst. And our worst is that our sin was bad enough that God had to become a human being and die on a cross to free us from it. And, and so Jesus in that moment cries out and it says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. 
So again, my question tonight is, do we believe that? Do we believe that God is that good? That God is that gracious? That God is that faithful? I've been uh, doing a, a, a little sort of a mini-series teaching right now on, on the church. I've been talking about the church over the last couple weeks. And I started two weeks ago talking about the body of Christ and how in the body of Christ, uh, you know, the title of that message was Body Parts, and there's a lot of different parts, but they're all very, very important. And none is more important than the other. We all, they're all needed, and, and, and they all have a role, and all have a job. And, and I said at that point, too, that you know, if one part of the body is not functioning, not, not fulfilling their role, not doing what they're created and intended to do, that it's just like your physical body. If you have a, a toothache or a migraine or a back, you throw your back out, that, that affects your whole body. And when one part isn't functioning and isn't in their role, um, we, all, we all suffer from that. Last week I, I continued and, and spoke a little more directly on the need for connection, the need for relationship with, with one another, and how... You know, we talk about that a lot, but the truth is it's not just a good idea. It's not just something that we should do. It truly is part of the way in which we have been created. We're created in the image of God for relationship. And when we're out of relationship, we're out of sync with the very purpose of God in our own lives. We're not doing the thing He created us to do. And, and I looked at last week some of the... Uh, some of the, the, the hindrances, the things that prevent those relationships from happening. We talked about first the fear of judgment and how sometimes we are afraid to relate to one another because we're afraid if people really get to know me, they're going to judge me and they're going to hate me and they're not going to want to be my friend. We also talked about just the lack of space in our lives and that same busyness that I mentioned earlier that sometimes we, we fill our lives up with a lot of stuff and it, it may not all be bad stuff, maybe it's okay stuff but it's just stuff and it's there and it might be actually preventing us from entering into any sort of a real significant relationship with God and, and with His body. And so we looked at ways to, to kind of hopefully uh, work through some of that and make those connections in the body of Christ that God has called us to make. Tonight I, I want to do this. I want to talk about what I view as a very important part of that, um, an element in relationship, in community, in the body, in, in church, um, and, and here's the thing, I, I've, I put this message in this series at this point right now because I, I think that sometimes we, we have in us uh, a little bit of a misunderstanding regarding the nature of forgiveness and how forgiveness or lack thereof affects the body of Christ. And I think it's really easy, and, and we can all identify. It's really easy to point to other places and look at other churches, other groups, other denominations, and say, well, they're kind of critical. They're very judgmental. They're this or they're that. And not look at ourselves. And I think at times we can do that within our own midst as well. And we can sort of, in our minds, think, well, you know, so-and-so is the problem. Uh, and we, we, we are quick to sort of point here or there and allow divisions to continue and not really realize that that has an effect on everyone. 
It affects the whole body. If, if I have unforgiveness in my heart towards someone, let's just say I, I haven't forgiven Aaron for something. Well, the truth is that doesn't affect just he and I. It really affects all of us because we're part of this body and we're connected. And as that thing festers and it boils under the surface, it, it affects all of you. And, I, and, I, and I'm, I'll tell you, there, there's a, there really is. There really is a spiritual undercurrent. There's a connection that we feel. And you may not, no one in the room, other than the two of us, may be aware of the situation at all, but it still seeps out. It oozes out. It has an effect. It's just the way it is when we're connected. We're, we're, we're that deeply connected. And if we allow unforgiveness to continue, if we allow broken relationships to continue, it not only affects everyone, but it really prevents us, it hinders us, I believe, from being the people that God's called us to be, from being the body that he's called us to be, and from being as effective for his kingdom and in the community as he's called us to be. We can't really accomplish and be who God has given us to be. And I, and I believe he's given us, to be honest, something pretty profound to be in our community. And I know that we can't accomplish that if we allow those things to, to continue. So I want to, now I, that's my intro, I want to pray and then we'll talk about living debt free, okay? Lord, open our hearts to receive your word tonight. I pray that your Holy Spirit would uh, just be with us and be upon us and cause us to uh, hear from you, not just from me tonight, but from you. I pray, Lord God, that you would cause your kingdom to come and your will to be done here today, now, in this place, in our lives, as it is in heaven. In your name we pray. Amen. Forgiveness is um, an interesting dynamic in Scripture. We've talked about before how the original language, especially Old Testament too, but New Testament, New Testament Greek and English, don't always meet up. They don't always correspond directly. Sometimes there will be a singular Greek word that will be translated into English as four or five different words in different places. And the reason for that is that uh, there's no exact corollary, and the only way that you can determine, or the translators could determine, uh, what English word to use for the Greek word is by the context, what the, what the context of the particular passage means. Now, forgiveness is, there's a single word in Greek for forgiveness, and it's translated one, it just only as forgiveness in English, one-to-one, but it's, it's, you, it's interesting in that it really has kind of two different meanings. And the only way, again, that you can determine uh, which meaning is applicable or appropriate with a certain passage is, is based on the context. Here's what I mean. One meaning of forgiveness is this. It is a, a unilateral, unconditional releasing of someone uh, from sin. And in that regard... That's why I, I titled this message Debt Free. And in that regard, it's very much like a debt. In fact, we will, we, we will use the terminology sometimes that a debt was forgiven. You ever heard that? Somebody said the debt was forgiven. You're basically saying to someone uh, in, in forgiveness in that regard, you're off the hook. You, you no longer owe this debt. You've been released from your debt. The debt has been forgiven. If I borrow $1,000 from someone, and I agree to pay that back uh, at the rate of $100 a month. Let's just say a few days before the first payment is due, that person calls me up and says, hey, I've been thinking about it, and 
um, you don't have to pay me back. I'm going to forgive that debt. You don't owe me any money. It's wiped out. It's gone. It's clean. The debt is gone. I no longer owe that debt. Now let's, let's tweak it a little bit. And let's say I agree to pay the $1,000 back, $100 a month. And the first month, uh, the date that I, my first payment is due rolls around, and I don't make the payment. So now I'm a little bit late. So maybe I mail it in a week late or something. And then let's say the second month comes around, and not only this month am I late, but I don't quite have enough money to make the payment, and so I send in $75 instead of $100. So now I'm not only late, but I'm behind, so to speak. And then let's say the third month rolls around, and I don't make a payment at all. And then the person calls me up and says, hey, I've been thinking about it, and um, I'm going to wipe out the debt. You don't owe me anymore. It's free. You're, off, you're, you're clear. The debt is forgiven. It's, it's been erased. Well, the same situation still applies. I, I no longer owe that debt. I, I didn't really do anything to earn that. I mean, in either case, I didn't do anything. But it's, it's just been forgiven. No merit on my part. I didn't ask to be forgiven. I didn't do anything to be forgiven. It's just been forgiven. Some of you remember the, uh, the story in the Gospel of Mark, it's, I, I don't remember exactly where, but it's near the beginning. There is a paralytic man, and his friends bring him to Jesus to be healed. And Jesus is teaching, and he's in a house, and a lot of people have gathered to hear him, so it's crowded. They're all around, and it's packed, and you can't get in. So these four guys carry their buddy in, and they, they got like a little stretcher apparatus, and they bring him, and they get there, and they go, oh, no, we, we can't get in. He it's, it's too crowded. We can't, we can't get to Jesus. What are we going to do? So somebody in the group is, you know, creative. And they say, I, well, let's go up on the roof. We'll climb up on the roof, and we'll cut a hole in the roof, and we'll drop him down. on it. So that's what they do. I think they get an A for creativity and an A for perseverance. I don't know about being a good neighbor necessarily. Um, but in any case, they, they lower their buddy down through the roof, you know, and you could just imagine, it's like right now, it's like this, and the guy comes lowering in. It's fairly noticeable. Uh, two things happened. Two things happened. Well, one, Jesus said two things. First, he said this, interesting little comment. He saw their faith. Not the guy's faith, his friends. They, they had a lot of faith. They thought, we get him up on the roof, lower him down, something good's going to happen. He saw their faith, and he said, your sins are forgiven. Now, the guy didn't ask for his sins to be forgiven. I, I, I don't know anything about the guy. We don't know if he was a good guy or a bad guy. We don't know if he wanted to see Jesus that day or not. It never tells us. His friends wanted him to. We know that. But we don't know if he did or not. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But my point is simply this, that he didn't ask for forgiveness. He didn't do anything to merit forgiveness. We don't have any, any recollection that he repented of anything. But Jesus just unilaterally across the board said, you're forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. There's another situation in the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 7, I think, where a, uh, 
<coughs> and Jesus is at a dinner party. He's been invited by, by some of the Pharisees to dinner. And uh, it's, a, it's a <coughs> by invitation. So he's at a dinner party inside someone's house. And a woman of ill repute shows up and crashes the party. And she comes in and she begins to sort of throw herself at Jesus. She begins to cry and wash his feet with her tears. She takes her hair and wipes the tears into his feet. I forgive you. She takes a bottle of perfume and she pours it out on his feet and she washes his feet with the perfume and with the tears. And let's, can we be really uh, just you know, honest here? I cannot think of any setting in which that would be appropriate behavior. Or, all right. You know, I, I, just, I, know, I know we focus our attention on the Pharisees. They didn't like it. I just cannot think of a single setting in which that would be appropriate behavior. She shows up, first of all, uninvited. She crashes the party. She makes something of a scene and really <coughs> acts in a way that would make me personally quite uncomfortable if I was there. We get a little uptight with the Pharisees for reacting, I think, in a way that, I don't know, maybe I would react as well. What did Jesus say to her? Your sins are forgiven. She didn't ask for her sins to be forgiven. I don't know that she repented of anything. I don't know that she did anything at all. She was obviously expressing some love to Jesus, but I don't know if she did anything to deserve her sins to be forgiven, but Jesus forgave her. So, in this first way, repentance is, or I mean forgiveness is, unconditional, unilateral, releasing someone from their sin. The second way in which forgiveness is used in Scripture has more to do with restoring a relationship. When someone sins against you, they put an obstacle in the relationship. There's something blocking this relationship now. There's something in the way that's keeping us from having the openness and the freedom to relate in the way that God intended us to relate. And in this dynamic... <coughs> forgiveness is uh, focused primarily on removing the obstacle, and it is conditional, because it is a two-party agreement. It takes two to tango, so to speak, at that point. It, it goes this way. We, we, we get it. We know. We understand it. We've all done it. Some of us, I remember uh, teaching my kids this. You know, you, if you hurt someone, you, you, you do something wrong, you go to them and you say, I'm sorry I hurt you. I'm sorry I sinned against you. Will you please forgive me? You, you repent. You seek forgiveness. You ask for forgiveness. You acknowledge your sin. And, and then hopefully that person then grants forgiveness and says, yes, I forgive you. And that results in reconciliation, in the obstacle that's been placed in the middle of the relationship being removed, and now you're free to have that relationship again. Now, again, in the first capacity, the first meaning of forgiveness it's unconditional, unilateral releasing of debt, but it's not necessarily focused on the restoration of the relationship. It's not focused on reconciliation. And that 
in that regard, in that way, I believe that that, that sense of forgiveness really does represent uh, and express the heart of God, the heart of the Father towards us as his people. He says to us, basically, I forgive you. When Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing, at least, you know, the, 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 those in, in attendance, in, in, in you know, the immediate area at that moment, had not repented. I think the scripture is clear that they'd not repented. And yet Jesus prays and cries out and says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. There's another example of this in uh, the book of Acts. You guys remember uh, Stephen. Stephen was a disciple. He's a young man, follower of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit. He was faithful. He was, he was righteous. He was, a, he was an all-around great guy. And he is accused of some things falsely. He really is. He's, he's brought in on sort of trumped-up charges. They're accusing him of things that, that he really did not intend and, and, and didn't do. And he, he goes through sort of a, a mock trial and he's convicted, and they're going to stone him. And you remember at that moment, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. So, you know, it's amazing to me. His final thought, his final thought is not for himself in any way, shape, or form, but for those who are sinning against him, actually in process of killing him. Now again, I don't think those guys with the rocks had met any conditions. I don't think they had repented. I don't believe that they were seeking forgiveness. I, I don't believe that they had done anything to merit Stephen's prayer, Lord, don't hold this against him. But he prays, he cries out to God and asks him for that in that moment. It's that forgiveness, I believe, that flows from the cross of Jesus. And that through Christ, we have. We've been given. And here's why it's important to me to distinguish between the two. Because I, I think if we, if we fail to distinguish between the two, they kind of get fused together. They sort of become one, and we start to think maybe that all forgiveness is conditional. Now, there's a couple of implications for that. The first one is this. That is that we begin to view God through that lens and to, to view his forgiveness towards us as being conditional. Now, I wasn't raised this way. But I've talked to a lot of people who were. Who believe you have to repent of basically every sin you ever commit, or you're unforgiven. So you're only as forgiven as the last sin that you repented of. Every thought. Oh, I had a bad thought. God, please forgive me of that sin. Two minutes later, oh, five seconds later, oh, I had another bad thought. Oh, God, please forgive me of that sin. And, and, you, and so there's this fear of always living in this state of unforgiveness. You're only as forgiveness. Uh, forget, you, know, you wake up in the morning, oh, did I dream any bad dreams? I don't know. I have to seek forgiveness all the time. 
I, 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 what if something bad what if I die before I pray again I won't be forgiven and there's sort of that fear and I think that sometimes we view God that way That'd, that would just make me crazy would that make you crazy it would make me crazy to think to, to, to live under that pressure that burden that weight what kind of a God really is that oh man I you know in eighth grade I I lied to my math teacher about my homework. I'm not sure if I ever repented of that. I better ask God to forgive me for that sin back in eighth grade because I don't want to be unforgiven of that. That's crazy. God says you're forgiven. Second implication is this. When we begin to think that way, and we begin to live that way, we replicate that and our constant thought toward other people is, you owe me. You owe me. And I'm not going to release you of the debt that you owe me until you get down on your knees and grovel and beg and ask. And here's what happens. The result of that, I think, is this, that we internalize that sin, the sin against us, and it becomes part of us. And in a way, we, we sort of carry the sinner and the sin with us. It be part of our spiritual life. And it's like this extra baggage that we carry around. I don't know, did you guys ever see The Mission with Robert De Niro? Fantastic movie. There's this great scene where this guy's doing penance and he's carrying this big ball of junk up this hill. And he's, it's so hard and he's struggling, he's struggling. He gets to the top of the hill and this guy, he's got a big machete, and he looks at him, and he thinks he's going to kill him, and he walks over, and he cuts the rope, and the dog falls away. Doesn't have to pay anymore. When we, when we live our life under that sort of thought of, you owe me all the time, and until you beg for forgiveness, I'm not going to give that up. We really do. We, we embrace that. We, em, we embrace the weight and the burden, and it, and it becomes part of us. We, we begin to carry that with us, and it, it destroys our own life. That's why in Ephesians, Paul says, don't, don't, don't let the sun go down on your sin while you're still angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. We're supposed, you want to get rid of that stuff as quickly as you can. You want to let go of it. Don't carry it around with you. Don't carry that big bag of stuff any further then you have to cut the rope, get rid of it, let, let it go. For, forgive that debt. Now, in, in that regard, and, and understand this, that that might not result in reconciliation. In certain instances, it can. It can. We might go through life, maybe somebody sinned against us, they're, they've died, they're not alive anymore. Maybe we don't have connection with them, maybe they're, they're, they're just moved away, they're, they're gone, whatever. It may not result in reconciliation. We still want to forgive and let go of that. Maybe here, sometimes, sometimes it, it's not wise to seek reconciliation. Sometimes reconciliation isn't appropriate. There, there are, you know, maybe people have been abused as a child, or there's other things in, in situations that are dangerous or unsafe and where, where reconciliation is, is, it really isn't the goal. And, and, and for whatever reason, and, and you know, it, it might not be possible, and it's, it might not be prudent or wise to seek reconciliation. But even in those situations, we want to forgive. We want to forgive, and we want to let 
let that burden go as quickly as possible. We want to release that person from their debt. They don't owe us anymore. And, and here's why we do that. We do that because we are to forgive as the Lord forgave you. We're to forgive others in the same way that Jesus forgave us on the cross when he prayed, Father, forgive them for they don't know what, he, what they're doing. Unconditionally, unilaterally, just to release them of their debt. Because really, really, Jesus forgives us that way. Jesus died for everyone. He forgives everyone of their sin. I want you to look at a verse with me in 1 John. John writes, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And you know, because of that, I can say, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven for the people that you've hurt in your life. You're forgiven for the lies that you've told. You're forgiven for the things that you've stolen. You're forgiven for, for if, you've, if, you've, if you've had an abortion, if you've committed adultery. You're forgiven for those things. God forbid, I hope there's no murderers here. But if you've murdered somebody, you're forgiven for that. I can say that with full confidence. You're forgiven for those things. You're forgiven for that. Now, does that mean that God doesn't care about what we do? No, it doesn't mean that God doesn't care about what we do at all. He cares very much about what we do because he, he, he wants the best for us. Sin is... Sin grieves the heart of God. It's destructive behavior in our own lives. It's going to hurt us. Ultimately, God cares very much about what we do. You know, he, he wants us to be in relationship with him. He doesn't want us not to be. He cares a lot, but, he, but, but that we're, we're, we're still debt-free. We're still forgiven. Does, does that mean that it wasn't a bad thing we did? No, it doesn't mean that. It, it, it was a bad thing we did. It was a bad thing we did. But you've been released of that. You've been forgiven for that. Theologically, I want to just answer a couple questions really quick to clarify. Does that mean that everybody's saved? No, it doesn't. Because there's a difference between released and reconciled. And you can be released of your sin, but not reconciled. That does require a two-party agreement. That's not unilateral. It's not unconditional. It, it really does require the acknowledgement that I sinned. I did something wrong. And it, and it requires seeking forgiveness, seeking reconciliation, and re reorienting my life towards Christ. It's a total redirection. Now, does that mean that God doesn't judge our sin? No, it doesn't mean that either. But again here, I think sometimes we have a distorted view of God's judgment. I think we sometimes don't understand how judgment really works because if I'm not mistaken, most of us most of the time, tend to view judgment sort of in a legal sense, like a judge in a court of law, when, when really judgment, the judgment of God is, is, is more involved with the, the breach of a covenant relationship. So instead of a court of law, think about a marriage for a moment. When we think of judgment, the judgment of God in a legal sense, you kind of view God like Judge Judy, and if your God looks like that, then you have other issues. No. But God is this judge, and he is waiting 
to exact some payment, right? There's repayment. You owe something, and God's going to get that back from you. There's a sentence. You're going to be fined. You're going you're to pay a sentence. That's, that's, that's the repayment that you have to do. And that's where there's a whole, there's a whole school of thinking behind that. That's where we get the idea where somebody says, oh, you know, somebody does something bad, and they step away from their friend and go, because you're going to get hit by lightning. That's the idea. It's a joke. We're just, it's funny. We're just laughing about it. But the idea that God is going to judge that person and pay them back for the bad thing they did and send lightning to strike them. That's, that's what that's behind. But in a more serious way, what that leads to is thoughts. I, you hear this all the time. There's a natural disaster. There's a hurricane. There's an earthquake somewhere. And that's God's judgment on those people for this or that that they did. I heard this a lot. Back in the early 1980s when the AIDS epidemic was first kind of exploding and becoming, people were becoming aware of it, and you hear people saying, oh, that's God's judgment. And my question is, what kind of God is that? If, if that's God's judgment, then how do I live? What do I do? Because I'm afraid of any moment that God might send judgment on me, you know, and ex- extract this payment that I owe him for my sin. Judgment really looks like this. It's really saying no to a marriage proposal. It's God coming to you and saying, I love you. I love you with all my heart, and I want to spend my life with you. I, I, I want to be with you forever and ever. And you say, no, thank you. It's, it's really this, and this is, this is, we see this all throughout Scripture. It's really, in, in, in John, it says it this way. It's people love the darkness instead of the light. The light came into the world. The light was there. People said, no, I'd rather be in the dark. Proverbs puts it this way. It's choosing death instead of life. God says, I'll give you life. You say, no, I'd rather die. It's that simple. That's that's what judgment looks like. See, God is for you. God God is for you. He's on your side. God, God forgives you. In conclusion, let me just say this. In the church, in the body, in this body, in any body, but we're talking about this body. Unforgiveness sows division in the body. And when unforgiveness exists, it really does affect the whole body. It affects all of us. It separates one body part from another body part, but all the other body parts feel the weight of that as well. It breaks down relationship, and frankly, that's just not good for anybody. It doesn't do anybody any good. In any and every case, we need to be quick to forgive. We need to be a, a, a people who follows the example of Jesus and Stephen and forgive. And sometimes we might get hurt and we might have to say, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. God, just forgive them. And we need to do that. We need to be that kind of a people in order to be the people that God's called us to be. In addition to that, I'd say this. To the degree possible, and I know that sometimes it's not, but, but a lot of times it is. We need to seek reconciliation. Because that's the heart of God. The heart of God is that we would strive for the highest and best. And if there's, if there's an obstacle that can be removed, then, then let's remove that obstacle and, and let's have that relationship as open and free as it can be without the obstacles there. And again, I know that maybe it can't, but often it can. And if it, if it can, we need to seek to remove it.
But we want to be a forgiving people. We want to be able to seek the release of sin so that that person can live debt-free and we can live debt-free and walk in the, the grace and the forgiveness that God's given us in our lives. Okay, let's pray. Yes, sir. I want to I'm going to pray for you guys again. I've been in the mood to pray for you lately. Father, um, I ask for uh, your Holy Spirit to come right now. Let your Spirit pierce our hearts, Lord God. I pray for anybody who's felt the weight of unforgiveness in their own lives, that they would be released of that, that they would know it tonight, without question, without doubt, that they're forgiven. They're forgiven. 